All right, you can turn your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter number one. We're going to start with verse number twelve. It says, "And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief." And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to, or to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and uh, go back to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, I thank you for this message and just the, uh, how it's spoken to me and just how it caught my attention, Lord. Just the power of your grace, God, what it can do in the lives of people, Lord, what it can do in our lives. And I pray that we would take these truths, Lord, and just uh, really apply them to our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. What God has really been working on me personally, and if I were to give a title to this message, is just the power of the grace of God. And I think sometimes when we say the grace of God, we almost cheapen it as a saying like, oh yeah, you know, because of the grace of God, but we really don't think of the applications and the power that the grace of God has in our life. And so the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Timothy, there's some uh, false teachers in the church and they're arguing over about things that are not important, teaching false doctrine. And so Paul gives his personal story as an example, as an illustration what the grace of God truly looks like in someone's life. And sometimes it takes an extreme example to get people's attention. And uh, yeah, I've got another college story. Um, this time I wasn't the offender, but there was a huge problem with cheating. And uh, I think it might have been uh, the history class. And people were uh, copying each other's notes. And the teacher had given a lot of different warnings saying, hey, I need you guys to, you know, don't do this. It's not ethical if I catch you on this because I know what's going on. You know, there's basically, there's, there's going to be a price to pay. Well, students kept doing it anyway. But eventually, when you copy someone so verbatim over a period of time, even if it is four or five students, it becomes pretty obvious, you know, who the offenders are. So we turned in our notebooks and he graded them. And when it came time to go pick up those notebooks... Before we could go up and get them, he stopped us all, and he had a pile of five or six notebooks that were sitting on top of his, uh, his desk, and then he called out the names of each of the notebooks, and he tossed those notebooks in the middle of the room, made them get up, pick up the notebooks, and get out of the class. I can promise you that after that, people were behaving a lot more ethical than they were before. It wasn't just that they failed the class, they were made a public example. And this is kind of what happened to Paul, but in a good way. We have someone who was, as he says, a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. And God takes someone whose life is marked by those things and truly turns them into a trophy of grace, creating a shock and awe experience in the early church, something people would have never expected because of the power of the grace of God. And to remember that grace does mean God's unmerited favor. However, that unmerited love, that unmerited favor doesn't just mean that he loves us and we don't deserve it, 
With that love also comes the power and enabling work of God in our lives. He's not content just to leave us as we were when we came to him. Coming to Christ means a changed life. So first we see God's enabling grace. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And as we go through this passage, you're going to see the significance of the statement. Here's a guy who was persecuting the church, and God has now put him into the ministry. He realized the power was not of his own. And it was the grace of God that made him worthy to begin with, and it would be the grace of God that would enable him to be in the ministry. And he understood this. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I think sometimes we forget that the work of God in ministry is indeed a fact, the work of God. It is what God is doing through us. It is what God is doing in the hearts of people. And the Apostle Paul was very aware of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul realized that it wasn't about his personal talents, it wasn't about his natural gifts that he had. If any real fruit was going to come about within ministry and within his life, it was only going to be done by the power and the grace of God. And you too, when you became a Christian, God had a purpose for your life. He enabled you to have a spiritual gift, but I think sometimes we become jaded with that idea and we think, okay, well, this is what God wants me to do, and you do it, and you start to build up this level of self-confidence. Okay, well, this is fine. I do this on a regular basis, but the reality is if we ever get to that point where we exalt ourselves and we think that we're doing something in our own strength, we're in a dangerous spot because we're going to actually lose the power of God. God uses those who are humble like the Apostle Paul, who understood that he was the chiefest of sinners and that it was an enabling grace that was in his life. It wasn't due to his works, and it's true that we do have to cooperate. We do have to be obedient when God calls us to do something. But we have to realize, we have to understand that it's God's enabling grace. It's God's grace and power working through us that will truly bring fruit. Good example of this is I've seen sometimes... Uh, you might go to certain conferences and sometimes maybe even camps and uh, there'll, be, there'll be a pastor up there or a preacher and super eloquent in their words, right? And, and they'll have all these emotional illustrations and there's people weeping in their seats and they're going to come forward and, and they make a decision and those life-changing decisions only last for about three hours. The next day, everything was just the way it was before. And you're wondering, so what happened? Did God fail there? No. See, the Apostle Paul understood that it wasn't with wisdom, men's wisdom. He understood that it was with power. I've seen other people get up and perhaps share a message one-on-one -on -one in discipleship. Perhaps they weren't the most dynamic speaker, and they simply faithfully preached the Word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it might have been a very quiet service, but the person sitting in their seat starts having introspection in their life because the Holy Spirit's working. And they might not even make a public decision saying, this is what God's doing in my life, but you see it publicly because God changes their life. There's a difference between us trying to do something 
in God trying, not God trying, but God actually doing something. And regardless of what you're called to do, if you're a Christian here, God has a purpose for you in his kingdom. God has a purpose for you in ministry, to influence those who are around you, to give out the gospel to your community. But never forget that we have to have his power. It's God's enabling power. It's not our personal talents, and it's not our personal gifts. It will be the power of God working through us and in the hearts of people. We see God's grace is a life-changing grace. Paul says, was, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? He says he was a blasphemer. Acts 26, 11 says, And I punish them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He says he was a blasphemer. He cursed the name of God. He dishonored the name of God. And he said, it wasn't just enough for him to do it personally. He hated the name of Christ so much that when he found someone who was a follower of Christ, he would punish them to try to compel them, to try to force them to blaspheme the name of God. He wanted everybody to hate the name of Christ. He was also a persecutor. Acts 8, 3 through 1 says, And Saul, talking about Paul, was consenting unto his death. This is the death of Stephen, who was an early, early faithful Christian. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them into prison. And prior in that verse in Acts 26, 11, it says that he chased them into strange or foreign cities. So just like it wasn't enough for the Apostle Paul to personally curse God, he wanted everyone else to do it too, or at least the name of Christ. And just like it, and similar in his persecution, it wasn't just that Paul was trying to get the the message of Christianity out of Judea, out of his home country. He also wanted to stamp it out anywhere it existed. It would be like someone today who is in a country that's hostile towards Christianity, and you leave to go to another country so you can openly practice your faith. But there's someone who is prominent in that country you escaped from, and they actually crossed the borders. They follow you, and they talk to people. They wrote— they, they make problems rise up because it wasn't just enough for them to get you out of their country. They wanted to stamp out the message of Christianity everywhere. And this is what the Apostle Paul was doing. It says he was injurious. Injurious is one of those words where honestly, if you get into it, as far as like the original language, it's, it's complicated. It has the idea of insolence, arrogance, violence. So when he was persecuting his people and he was compelling them to blaspheme, when he was hauling families from their houses and having them committed to prison, and when he was chasing them from place to place, it says he, he said he was doing it with an arrogant attitude, an insolent, violent attitude. In his zeal, there was an honest hatred in his heart. He, you might say, took pleasure in what he was doing. He wanted the church of God to be stamped out. So we see who he was, but then we see who he became by the power 
of the grace of God. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. He said he received mercy due to ignorance. So what is he talking about? Was it because he wasn't aware that he was sinning? Well, no, he, he knew he was sinning and he was being responsible for his sin. But there is a contrast between the example he is giving to Timothy of what true grace of God looks like in changing lives as opposed to these false teachers. Same contrast can be seen between those who reject Christ and those who rejected Christ as a Pharisee. If you remember going back to the book of John, Jesus had all these different witnesses to explain to the world who he was. There was a clear understanding of who he was and there was a clear understanding of the message. But there were these people, even with all of that light, still rejected Christ. The Apostle Paul would have known who Christ was. He didn't have that same light. He did it ignorantly in unbelief. Think about when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. What? They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. So he's saying, I received mercy due to ignorance. But he also says that this powerful grace that came in his life, it came packaged with both faith and love. He says, this grace was exceedingly abundant. It reminds me of that passage in Romans that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You think about the idea of someone who was a persecutor, someone who was a blasphemer, someone who was extremely arrogant, and he wanted to stamp out the church of God. God comes in, changes his heart. He becomes a born-again Christian. And as bad as that was, he could say that the, God's grace was exceedingly abundant, literally meaning overflowing. It's like to say that I needed a certain portion of grace, but the grace that God gave me was so much, it was literally overflowing. Overflowing. God's grace is more than enough for your life. But it comes with both faith and love. God took someone who had a heart of doubt and unbelief, regenerated that heart, and started the, prog started the process of a growing faith. God took a heart of love and gave it to the Apostle Paul. The guy who formerly hated Christianity and formerly hated the name of Jesus Christ, the guy who was persecuting Christ, would later on say that he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Whether he wanted to die and be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay with the church because it was more needful for them. These are the people God and the church that he hated. And now he was saying he was willing to die to be with Christ. And because of the power of the grace of God, he was willing to also stay to be a benefit of the church. And he was also willing to suffer for their sake. Colossians 1.24 says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He was saying that there's some things that I have to do to be a benefit to the church. And it's going to require suffering. But the way he says it is, is he needs to fill up the suffering 
these afflictions of Christ, the Christ he was trying to persecute, the name he was trying to stamp out, he was now willing to suffer for. And he was doing it to benefit the church that he was at one time trying to stamp out. That truly is the power of what the grace of God can do. We can also see that the grace of change can save the chiefest or the worst of sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was saying that during his day that there was a saying. Apparently it was going around in the church and he says it was a faithful saying, something that we could trust in and it's something that as the early church and those who were in the world needed to know that it was worthy of full acceptance. And that was Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. The power of the grace of God, we just see how God can change lives. We see how God changes the Apostle Paul's life, and he calls himself the chief of sinners. Look, for him to say that, it's not uncommon. Uh, Spurgeon says, this godly sensitivity towards sin was associated in the apostle's mind with an equally vivid sense of the freeness and riches of divine grace, that Christ died not for the righteous, but for the guilty. And, the great thought, and this great thought was on his mind. And he has no hesitance in declaring it and in speaking boldly concerning the exceeding abundant grace of God and forgiving sins. The union of these two feelings of Paul is by no means an unusual occurrence among human minds. For you will generally find that the people who are the most clear in their witness, who have personally experienced salvation by his grace, are also the people for whom sin is exceeding sinful. Indeed, all those who prize grace most are those who also feel sorrow concerning their transgressions. These things go hand in hand. When we truly appreciate the grace of God and what he has done in our life, then we truly start to see sin for what it was. So a couple applications to go with what we've gone through so far. That is, one, God can save anybody. There are some people who might think, well, because of the sins that I've committed in my life, if you knew my history, if you knew my past, there's no way God could ever save me. Well, God gives us a passage in Scripture as a shock and all illustration of what the grace of God can do. As bad as you might think you've been of all the choices you have made, the Apostle Paul could say that I was a persecutor. I had people sent to prison for the name of Christ. I blasphemed and even punished, tortured people to get them to blaspheme the name of Christ. And I was arrogant. I did it. I even took pleasure in what I was doing. I persecuted them in foreign countries. But the grace of God not only was enough to save me, it was overabundant. The grace of God was overflowing. You might find yourself thinking, God can't save me if you knew the things that I've done. Well, what Scripture teaches us, as I've already quoted before, is that where sin did abound, the grace of God did much more abound. God not only has enough grace to save you, he has more than enough grace to save you. And I think sometimes we get this in our mind, well, God just doesn't have that power. I don't see how God could change my life. If he could change a guy like that, he can change any of us. And the truth is, you think about how the early church looked at the Apostle Paul. 
They were scared of this guy after he had a salvation testimony. They were going to send him up, and they're like, oh, you're going to send Paul up here? Isn't this the same guy who was sending us to prison? There was actually fear there. The shock and all illustration taking place where the rubber meets the road, where in your mind you think one thing, but then you see the grace of God doing something else. And again, the grace of God is not cheap. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, lives can change. And I wonder if we believe that for other people, though, as well. If we go into chapter number two, he continues on and says that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I think sometimes as Christians who have personally experienced the grace of God, you've got that life-changing testimony. You know what it can do, but sometimes we don't think that God can do it for other people. Or sometimes we don't have it in our mind right now, is especially this year, a huge, huge division within our country. And we can see how sin is being elevated, and we can see really how things that God hates are being put up front and center and being exalted. And as Christians, I... I read something online. I really enjoyed it. And the pastor was making this comment. We think that we're in a cultural war, and we are, but we're not in a war against those people. As a Christian, we're in a war for those people's souls. As Christians, it's not our job to be looking at other people as our enemies, because we know the battle is a spiritual battle. But do we believe that this grace of God, just like he changed our lives, can change the lives of others? The Apostle Paul was saying to pray for everyone because God wants all men to be saved. And this is in the context of talking about kings and those in authority. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, whether you're a king or a slave. God's, Paul says God wants everyone to be saved. And in a political season like this, I know people get really angry about the people who are running for office. But can I ask you, do you believe the grace of God can save them? Are you praying for them? Or is your heart filled with hatred? Is it filled for anger? That's not what Paul was promoting. Understand that Paul was a religious political leader in his time. He was actually persecuting the church, and the grace of God did something. I believe, and I've said it over and over again, what our country needs is the gospel. Of everything else, that we could argue about as far as philosophy and politics, what it ultimately needs is the gospel. It was when the gospel of God came into countries that those who hated Christianity made an accusation, and it was a truthful one, that these people turned the world upside down. And that is what the power of the grace of God can do. We've seen it happen personally in our lives. If you're a Christian, we have an illustration of someone who during his time was a hateful political religious leader, and the grace of God changed his heart. But we also see that real salvation brings real change. Titus 2, 11 through 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Some people believe that they got saved simply because they said a prayer. Some people believe they got saved because of the good deeds they have done. But the grace of God does not simply just produce a prayer, and the grace of God can never be earned 
by good deeds. It is far more than that. The grace of God actually changes your heart. It changes your life. And I'm fearful for a lot of people who may have had a profession of salvation at one point in their life. And we can see with example of what the grace of God can do. But looking back, since you've had a profession of faith, you see no fruit in your life. You never got the peace that you were looking for. There's not really a struggle in your heart. You're still 100% drawn to sin. You don't really desire the things of God. That is not what the Bible teaches the grace of God does in the heart of a believer. You see, God starts the work and he will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. He takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. When people trust Christ, they become what? New creatures. It doesn't be mean that our lives become perfect, but it is the starting point where we turn from rebellion and turn from sin and solely trust in the grace of God. In his finished work alone, we become followers of Christ and we just begin that journey. But if in this journey you claim to have, no steps have been taken. No following has ever been evident. You should question that. That is not what the grace of God produces in someone's life. You might be thinking here that, well, I've been doing good works. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, but I know I've been doing good works, and I've been trying to live a life that's righteous. Well, the grace of God, God's unmerited favor, can never be purchased by works. There's this great truth within Christianity. It's all throughout Scripture. We can see it in James. We can see it in Hebrews. We can see it in Ephesians, and over and over and over and over again, even in Corinthians, that when Christ saves someone, he saves them without doing any works, but real salvation by the grace of God will produce works. God did not just save us to leave us as sinners. God saved us to give us victory over sin, to yes, save us from hell, yes, to bring him to heaven, yes, to restore a relationship, but it was also to give us a new life. And I'm not saying again that, well, my life, it wasn't black and white after I got, no, none of, us, none of our lives ever are. We're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But there should be a process that has at least started. The grace of God, the sanctifying work in his life of him making you more like his son, Jesus Christ, should be evident. Just like it was the Apostle Paul. And we see that God's grace was on display. He says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul was not just saved from hell to heaven. Paul was saved and God had a purpose for his life. And he says what this purpose is, that his life would be a pattern to those that would believe after. So they could see what the grace of God does. So they could see God's patience even when we were sinners, even when we were blasphemers. No matter how bad our sin was, we can see the grace of God can truly change our lives, truly offer forgiveness, truly give us a new start. He's the illustration. And we see that God's grace is on display. Spurgeon also says, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. His life and if, if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. 
what he's saying is our words actually speak very little, but our actions speak volumes. The Apostle Paul's life was a display of grace. It wasn't just that his message changed, his life changed. And if you're a Christian, again, it does not mean you're perfect. Sometimes people will say, well, I hear what you're saying, but I know the sin you have in your life. You're a hypocrite. You're only a hypocrite if you claim perfection. You're only a hypocrite with the Christian message if you say that either I'm perfect or I'm growing, but you're obviously not. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. But a lot of people will see an honest, genuine life. Yes, a life that struggles. Yes, a life that requires continual repentance. But they also see a life of growth. They can see where you were, and then they can see where you are now. And then when you give the gospel message, you're not just telling someone about the grace of God. You're showing them. And that is powerful. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying, that his life was being used by God. This is why, this is why he saved me. This was his purpose, to take someone who is doing such evil and changing their life radically so you can see what the grace of God does in someone's life. And I tell you, as a Christian, we are all put into the ministry when we trust Christ as our Savior. It's not just pastors. Everyone is a part of the ministry. You are part of the body of Christ. God has given you a spiritual gift, and God has given you a testimony of what the grace of God can truly do. So when you tell people about the grace of God, when you tell people, it's not just saying, hey, this is what Jesus can do for you. You can also say, hey, look at what Jesus has done for me. I'm not perfect. I still sin. I still repent. But I can tell God is changing my life. And if it's honestly happening, they'll see it. Your life, like the Apostle Paul, will also be a display of the power of the grace of God. We also see a grace worthy of praise. He says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's going over his salvation testimony. He's saying, Look, I thank God that he counted me worthy, putting me into the ministry. This guy who was, you know, formerly a, a blasphemer and a persecutor, someone who was injurious. I was this arrogant guy, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And God saved me, this guy who was the chiefest of sinners, to, to use me as a pattern to those who, was, who would trust Christ after me. And then you can tell he's getting worked up in this letter. Like, it's getting real. To, it's even getting real to him. It's, he's getting emotional. And it's almost like he's closing out the letter. He couldn't stop but to glorify God. He says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory now, forever and ever. Amen. It's like you could put a period there and just close the book of 1 Timothy. It's almost like he just closed it. He's like, this is what God has done. I'm so excited about it. I give all, God all the glory. All the, I, I recognize his power in my life. As a Christian, though, I have to ask, have we gotten kind of cold? You know, when you first became a Christian, and this is true for, every, for a lot of people who really become Christians, you go through like that honeymoon stage where you're so excited, you're so happy with what God has done in your life, what he's done for you, and there's an excitement there, there's an exile there, and you can't wait just to tell everyone about it. Well, I think sometimes as you've been Christians for a while, and as I've been a Christian for a while, it's good to remember what God has done for us. It's good to retake count of the, who we used to be and who we are now, and to look at what the grace of God has done in our life to get that rejoicing back. Just to stop and to thank God for what he's done. 
I think of the story. Oh, let me get it up here real quick. You've heard the story of like the author of Amazing Grace, right? I think a lot of you have before. The guy used to be a, a slave trader. He was a drunkard in his young life. Then he eventually became a slave because it was reckless living. And then he, well, of course, became a Christian. Now, I think there was a movie out about that too, and they made it appear like this guy's life changed overnight. That's not technically what happened. What happened in his life was a display of the grace of God, but it's one that was more of an honest one, one that we would see in our lives. So he was doing all these bad things, and he finally came to his conversion point. He trusted Christ as Savior, and he didn't instantly stop doing all the bad things he was doing. But if you look at the beginning of his life, and you look at the end of his life, the very beginning of his life, he was a drunkard, he was a slave trader, like he was a really bad person. At the end of his life, he was an abolitionist, extremely opposed to slavery. At the end of his life, he was a minister, and at the end of his life, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. We sing that song, but I think sometimes we cheapen the grace of God when we say it. We forget the power that the grace of God actually has. This isn't just something we say. This isn't just something that we talk about. This is something that is real. The grace of God changes lives. If you're not saved today, you've never become born again. You're not a child of God. You don't know that your sin is forgiven. Can I tell you, the grace of God is more than sufficient for you. He will not just forgive you of your sins and give you a new home in heaven and escape from a place called hell. He also gives you a new life. He gives you a new beginning. He gives you a new start, a life that can break free from the chains of sin and start to follow after Christ. And it's all by the power of his grace. If you will honestly turn from your sin and trust solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ, believing that he was God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died to pay for your sins, he was buried and he rose again the third day, you put all of your faith in him. And the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, and you choose to believe, you choose to obey, the grace of God will be more than sufficient for your life. Regardless of your background, regardless of the things you've done, God offers you a fresh start. He gave you the Apostle Paul as an example to show you what the grace of God can do. You might be thinking, well, I'm a moral person. I'm a good person. I don't see myself as a sinner. Well, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. And the grace of God cannot be purchased by works or by deeds. It is truly God's unmerited favor. He would ask you, to, he would ask you demand of you, to repent of your self-righteousness and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a Christian today, and I believe many of you are. Remember the Apostle Paul. He was made worthy by the gospel. He trusted in Christ, and he was enabled by that same grace to serve Christ. And if you're a Christian and you feel inadequate, good. We are all inadequate on our own to serve Christ. And never forget that. Never think that we have arrived and that we are this perfection of talent, and yes, God can greatly use me. He's being gifted by me. No, God is the one who gifts us. He's the one that enables us. He's the one that gives you power. So if God is working in your heart, you know what the next step is in your life. Can I tell you, the grace of God is more than abundant for you as well. 
You can see a lot of fruit in your life. You can see people turn to Christ. God can turn you into a, tro a trophy of grace by the power of his grace. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, to be honest, as you were saying a little bit earlier, I know I'm a Christian, but I haven't really stopped to think about what God's done for me. And I've grown kind of cold. Do what the Apostle Paul did. Take account of your life. Remember where you were. Remember who you were. And when you do that and it becomes real again to you, you'll remember the power of the grace of God. You'll see how he put things together just for you and how you became a Christian, how your life has changed. And like the Apostle Paul, you just have to sit there and stop. Can't even continue writing and just stop and thank God. Give him all the glory.